32 counties. United by people. <laughs> my name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Andrea, what are you doing this very, very second I, while, <laughs> while you're, when you're meant to be presenting a podcast? Tap, tap, tap in. Uh, I'm registering for my um, vaccine. That's very high pitched. Yeah, I've just done it. I've just sent it off. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the matrix now. I'm in the mainframe. Um, to be hacked. God, I hope they don't get my email. A live vaccine registration right there. Take that, Claire Byrne Live. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, welcome to this episode. We're going to be talking about um, the the axis on which uh, all the world turns. Yes, that's right. It's South William Street. <laughs> this is, believe it or not, Andrea, our hundredth official episode. Now, that number essentially means nothing because we've had so many bonus episodes, so many bylines, so many 32 questions. Um, however, uh, in terms of the official it's, weekly it's episode. Kind, it's kind of like being a counsellor, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it means something, but really when you scratch the surface, it, it, it means nothing at all. Um, so every week in United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland and tinker away with our little spanners and wrenches and uh, talk to people who are smart, who know what they're talking about, giving you a different kind of, I don't know, lens, perspective. Um, pieces. Buzz? <laughs> Buzz? <laughs> Buzz, anyone? Um, of course, speaking of um, addressing the oil change in our podcast engine, uh, Andre, what would you like to say about that? I would like to say that, like Mariah Carey said, without you, we cannot live. And <laughs> <laughs> we would like, if you are enjoying our podcast, if you tune in, if you make it a, an appointment-based listen, um, that if you could do us the justice of supporting our work, our research, and our tormenting of people maybe sometimes to get what what we think you need uh, what you deserve what you deserve then we would ask you to maybe think about supporting us for as little as three euro per month but you know it would be delicious to go up to the 9.99 per month wouldn't it yeah, be, yeah be coffee with coconut milk um, patreon.com forward slash united ireland is where you go to put some renewable fuel in our ever running engine. Okay, uh, that metaphor needs to die. But first, it's State of the Nation. Andrea, very strangely quiet all week in the news. I was flat out looking for a bit of juice to put in there. And actually, it did turn out that the whole week did centre around St. William Street. <laughs> <laughs> there was literally nothing else going on. Now, someone else would be like, what about this? What about this? Nothing in juicy. Uh, so everything seems to be related to housing this week. Um, the Heinz plan for 400 apartments uh, built to rent at Beta Gibson, um, and it was a 16-storey tower that was going up there, has, uh, following a judicial review taken by the residents of Dublin 8, um, and all self-funded. I was flat out doing, uh, what do you call them? Zoom quizzes and all uh, to raise some cash. Um, that Well, I didn't. They did, did it. But anyway, wow, that's a really nice tangent, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it has been referred to a European Court of Justice um, because the judge said that it was an overdevelopment of the site. Duh. Um, and obviously the what the format of what was going in there was actually not going to provide um, any solutions. As we all know, it was a, a, a developer-led money-making scheme. So it's going to take 12 to 18 months for that to go through in Europe. Now, the people behind the campaign have said, obviously, they want to get houses built. They're not against development. Um, but I think the fundamental issue with all these fights, everyone's like, oh, you're just ideologically opposed. It's like... Everyone wants houses to be built, but just because we're desperate for houses doesn't mean we just throw up our arms and let anything be built yep. for the will of the of the of the profits. So I think it's well worth remembering that. And just because 
we all want houses to be built. We all want people to live in them and we all want a fair and equitable society. But just throwing all that power over to people just because we're dying to do it, we need houses. Is, and taking it lying down is just not fair. Yeah, there's uh, a massive, massive uh, missing piece around sustainability in the current conversation and not just in terms of, you know, very obvious environmental stuff, but like, um, just the sustainability of communities, the sustainability of planning, um, the sustainability of what looks kind of, you know, beautiful and will be there long term. I I think I'm going to write about this next week. I, I'm just kind of like a bit freaked by all these like, yeah, let's just build 30,000 houses straight away. It's like, okay, there's loads of vacancy. There's loads of dereliction. How can we put money into the you know, the live above the shop kind of stuff, you know, the livable city initiative, I think expired last May or something. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Of course we want um, more housing, but you just can't throw up a load of shite uh, everywhere. I'm not saying this is a load of shite, but you know, we've seen the amount of shite that was thrown up during the Celtic Tiger, leaky cladding, no storage, balcony, clothes, horse, ridiculousness. Mm. On that point, um, The local property tax surcharge on vacant properties is under consideration, which is a w- very welcome addition to the conversation. It's coming through today. I think it's the conversation is happening. Um, and it's actually, Leah Bracker is the one who's who's been actually quite open to it, um, which is... Suspicious. <laughs> what's going on there? But he's brought it to Pascal Dunahue. So we can but hope that... Uh, uh, that will happen and there are going to be things brought in that will well there's conversations about bringing stuff in so that it doesn't affect people with holiday homes that it is about um, investment properties so um but also a dereliction tax as well is essential like we've loads of gas and all you have to do is look at the price of timber now who would have thought this would be my my yardstick um hey. <laughs> <laughs> however the price of timber has literally doubled. The price of aluminium, like a, a, a sleeper has gone from 24 euro to 46 euro. That is like the banana town inflation of the world. In aluminium, through the roof. So it's actually costing a fortune to build all these houses, especially all the high rise ones that need all the lifts and blah, blah, blah. So we have so many derelict places that are just being let ruined. We need an empty vacant property tax we need a dereliction tax and i hate being a tax 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 person but we just need these fucking places in use and that's the end of it and on good news though hotels my favorite thing in the world even though i have a club night called no more hotels are back in action today (laughs) Woo! um best of luck to all of the hotels and b&bs and all the guest houses and little places and big places that are opening up around the country. Um, Don't forget to open your windows. Ventilation. Yeah, ventilation stations. Not fuck this two metres. Let's keep the two metres and wash your hands. But just open your fucking windows. Speaking of open air, it's time to travel into the dark heart of South William Street. South William Street does not have a dark heart, let me tell you. Okay, it's time to travel into the neon heart of South William Street. So everyone is talking about St. William Street for a change, Andrea. And, um, <laughs> Center of the universe. And, and the Spanish Arch in Galway and, and various places the crowds are gathering in cities to have their outdoor summer and the condemnation of that. Everyone knows littering is bad and that it also happens. And uh, then there's the frustration that people feel regarding whose version of an outdoor summer is more acceptable. Um, but what do you think all of this reveals, Andrea? Um, fundamentally, I think there's a lack of preparation that some councils have clearly exposed and how unhappy pe- people are who live within those jurisdictions, especially in Dublin and uh, South William Street. Um, and, but we want to know how were the councils caught on the hop for the second summer of a pandemic? Or were they caught on the hop at all? Or was this lack of action, absence of planning and insufficient deployment of facilities and planning on purpose? waiting for all this to blow over so that they don't have to do anything. We are talking this morning to Lord Mayor Hazel Chu. Hi, Hazel. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Una. So how do you feel about what happened at the weekend, Hazel? Um, Bit of a hullabaloo or something that was, uh, you know, very bad or something that you expected was probably going to happen at some stage? 
You see, I, I'm sure people won't like me for this, but I don't think it was a hullabaloo. I, I, I do think naked people on, on a, a pillar uh, randomly uh, uh, um, shouting is bad. So the, the whole public order issue is bad, but the whole meeting your mates for a pint is not bad. So like you, you, we have to provide public spaces for people to meet up with, with their friends, to, to, to be able to socialize. You can't just say, listen, you don't have a garden, you don't have a outdoor space, but don't come out here to town, even though we said, do come out here to town to shop. So once you finish shopping, just back off home. So that, that we can't say that. And this is something that I, I think from a DCC perspective, I can only speak from myself and the people I spoke to, the managers I spoke to, they're not trying to prevent people coming in either. There's, well, from where they stand, they're, they're trapped in a space of, well, if we, they're, they're trapped in this thought of if we, if we put things there, if facilities there and uh, uh, bins there, then it will encourage more people to come in and we will be held responsible for having these large gatherings, which would break the law. And my pushback is, well, you know what? They're coming anyway. And the, the least we, we need to do is provide the services because that's our job as a local authority. Yeah, Hazel, I mean, the, the, the head of the, the City Recovery Task Force, um, I've, his name has just popped out of my head, Colleen, I think. Colleen, yeah. Um, like, he was on Claire Byrne. Uh, I'm sure you heard it. And I'm sure you saw the reaction uh, online where people's jaws were dropping, essentially, where he was saying, just as you said, oh, well, if we put bins and, and toilets, or, you know, people use them. Now, when I was list- listening back to it, because I didn't listen to it live, I actually couldn't believe it because not only was this uh, thought being expressed without seemingly any self-awareness as to how ridiculous it sounded, but it also sounded like this is a policy. Now, we are saying like managers are, are stuck in stuck in that thing of like, well, if we provide things and people come like, come on, like, let's just move beyond that. That is that is ridiculous. That is that is really, really idiotic. And it's very disheartening that that attitude is actually at the top of the people who are supposedly planning the city's recovery and also its, its approach to the pandemic right now. It is, it is disheartening. And it was more disheartening that when this whole argument was, was um, coming along, that I, what I expected also from central government was di- direction, because we also need funding as well as direction when we, we have to FM plan. And on one side, you had uh, you had a ton of saying, listen, you, you people shouldn't go out now. I, I'm not trying to misquote him, but the general gist I got was, listen, don't go out and, and, and gather in crowds. However, then on the other side, you had the Minister of Housing, you had Daryl O'Brien who said, local authorities need to provide for this. So there's this mixed messaging coming from above that goes then then to the local authorities. And it's not just DCC. You can see, in, you, you mentioned Galway there. So mm-hmm. you can see in Galway, like on no, in no sane world should we be closing any public spaces. And we, in Dublin, we shouldn't be closing Porta Pella Plaza. In Galway, we shouldn't be closing, was it the Middle Arch? Was that the part? It's middle like, Arch, yeah, down, yeah, oh, sorry, I said the Spanish Arch, but you're right, it's Middle Arch, yeah. It, it pushes people to different places. So like, you wouldn't say Stephen's doing close on Saturday, it pushed people to South William Street. Yeah. So this whole displacement of people is due to the fact that we don't have enough open spaces together. It's something I said to Colleen and Keegan a good few times because in other European countries, you walk around and there's plazas, there's squares, you hang around them. So some people drink in other squares, some people hang around in one square and they have these big pockets of public space. We don't have that. So it's why like one of the things myself and others had always pushed on was just pedestrianize all the streets. But then the argument is, well, cars need to get through. But if you pedestrianize everywhere, you will have people filtering. You will have those zones where mm. it will be more popular than others because they all uh, people will gather there, but they will filter. Like if you see... If you see that William Street and it's rocking, you, you probably hang around and you, you see what the crack is. But then if it gets too much, you kind of go, well, you know what? I'll go over to Clarendon Street if it's if it's pedestrianized, if it's the same thing, or I'll go over to Drury Street. So mm. you, you tend to filter. You might not have, it's like being in a packed club. You may might not necessarily hang out at that spot. You will go out to the smoking section. You'll go somewhere else. And that's what we need to do. I'm not, before anyone goes, oh, she's turning the city center into a club. I'm trying to 
persuade people to turn the city center into an event plan. So not necessarily an event, but like we need an event plan to manage things. Yeah, totally. And obviously, you know, it's a bit late as well for, for you know, to be talking about just planning. I want to just pick up something there on the on the mixed messaging for government because that was Owen Keegan's um, uh, message in, in a memo to councillors sent early in April where he was saying, look, you know, we can't do anything until the government tells us how to plan and, and I'm not going to allocate a budget to the city task force. What is it about other councils such as Dunleary that seem to be immune from this mixed messaging and are just planning and doing pedestrianisation and, and, and allocating public space and putting port loos in anyway? I think in Dunleary's case, firstly, Robert Burns is, is great. So it's amazing. I'm not saying DCC aren't in people, but Robert Burns is great. And he also, he not that he doesn't care about pushback, but like you look, you see... You see the cycleway in in um, uh, um, and the seafront, yeah, and yeah, the seafront. There was major pushback from Monkstown and Blackrock and Dunleary from that, but they rode on ahead anyway. We tried to put one in Sandy Mount, and now there's we're going to court over it uh, because there's so uh, so much pushback, and we tried, but that that becomes part of it. There there is one thing of a mindset of we need direction before we change, uh, be, not before we change uh, on some uh, issues, so we can do it. The other is. is if we do it, there will be pushback. So let's do this in a very cautious way. And I, I don't think either are a good way to be, because if you can be like Daenery, be like Daenery. But we haven't even we haven't got to that. And we have spent a year there. There has been but there's many- going to be no pushback in time. There's going to be absolutely no pushback in time if more streets are pedestrianized and if there's more public space. Apart from, from Brent Thomas. Yeah, from Brent Thomas. Brent Thomas and AA Car Park. I asked. So Brent- but why are Brent Thomas being allowed like control the, the city? Like it's essentially one business is getting to take full control of the whole city and of the interests of pedestrians. All the businesses on South William Street are calling for pedestrianisation. And it's literally one car park. How is that able to happen? One car park and the AA car park. And I don't miss my word saying this by saying they shouldn't be. So I've I've been making it very clear and others have been making it clear that whole street, if you pedestrianise it and you put in proper public realm seating, uh, um, planters, but also gathering tables, gathering spaces, people, people can actually properly gather instead of become a mosh of gathering so and and that will make it uh, that will make the flow better as well i i think of how fence spaces work in terms of flow because that yeah. was always been my job and to think of flow of health and safety and how to for people to enjoy things enjoy things but this hasn't been we haven't been able to do that with that william street on the basis that there was a car park two car parks objecting to no end so what the the covert recover the covert mobility manager brendan o'brien who, who has done lots of work in terms of cycle lanes and pedestrianizations he went and talked to brent thomas uh to try to get the, and the exit changed to the front so that your exit and entrances will be the same part. So Clarendon Street would only be the, the thoroughfare. Nope, no, no, it didn't happen. It would, it, and then but we. The, we the, the, can they just say you have to? Well, their lease, you see, their, their, their lease provides them with a right of way to exit out of St. William Street. St. William Street, that's part of the problem. So, so it's not like if we, if we could tell them, listen, that's. What you have to do, then so be it. But the, the problem is the lease provides the, uh, the, the right of exit right. out of South William Street and, and we're kind of trapped in that. Um, what does it feel like as a councillor and Lord Mayor when the shit hits the fan and all the stuff that you've been calling for and asking for, um, you have to defend that it hasn't happened essentially and, you, you, when, and you're blue in the face calling for it? I don't know Have either of you ever watched Clueless when you were younger. Yes. But I watched it a lot. And there was a scene that always comes into my head whenever this happens, which is like after her trying to, after her getting the grade and she's outside the door going, I feel impotent and out of control. I'm going to the mall. So, and it's that feeling, it's that feeling of fecking, like impotent and not being able to push for stuff. When you're the Lord Mayor of Dublin, you're supposed to be able to, to uh, get this through. But other Lord Mayors that weren't me to say, listen, a lot of the things will you have to stick to will be ceremonial because you can't like the, the managers are the executive. They get to push this through. But one of the things that it, it's why I've worked 
so closely with Brendan O'Brien this year was because our working relationship isn't just me trying to push things. It's us working together to try to plan things. And that's been really good. Uh, Colleen is a good guy, but I, I don't think him and I agree necessarily on a lot of things because his interest is to um, look after and protect the city. Whereas my interest is look after, but provide as much as possible for the city. I think there's always this fear from, from, maybe at DCC and I'm sure I, I'll probably get slapped for saying this, but there's this fear of, uh, it, actually I won't because they've said it publicly that if you provide more people will come. But if your intention is that more people comes in to support local businesses, to support, um, uh, to, 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 to um, come in, then you need to provide for other people who aren't just coming in to shop. So I just think that mentality is, is completely bananas. <laughs> like, I think it's crazy. It's totally crazy to say if we if we provide for people who live in the city, they will use it like I mean, this is it's we're not in some kind of like, you know, 1950s department in the civil service here. Do you know what I mean? Like, surely that kind of attitude has. How is that still prevalent in the council? Well, I think it's also, I think it's a lot of it is to deal with that the city centre as such isn't a lived in city centre. There are people, some people living here, but ideally your city centre should be mixed use of a lot of living above shops. And then what will happen is there will be more community developed and there will be different things happening and there will be people flow. Whereas the council is quite used to once the shop closes, not that the street's empty, but in the last year definitely have. They, they've emptied out. Whereas I don't don't think they necessarily not that they don't understand but i i don't think they realize listen there's there's this whole after eight or after 10 cohort we need to start planning for and it's not just to do with pubs no it's not like when pubs open that that solves everything people will still need outdoors uh, outdoor space like i've had i've heard a lot of argument in the last week of oh, open all the pubs and uh, everything will be fine. Yeah, open the pubs and open the restaurants. But at the same time, each place will only have 20, 30 spaces um, mm. allocated. There's going to be not enough. And like, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I probably wouldn't be able to afford to sit in the pub all day. So no. I'll still be with a bag of cans somewhere. So. And also, why should the businesses have to be the people who are providing the services rather than the people who manage the city? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned there, Hazel, um, and you, like when you're talking, you're talking about the city council as they a lot, and you're the Lord Mayor, so like you're part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that obviously there's a problem there? Like I, I think we need to directly elected mayor, but there's also like fundamentally an issue in terms of how gov- local government is being run. It's being run in two different sections. The democratically elected people who are who are um, elected don't have any say, essentially, or no power or autonomy, and the Lord Mayor is ceremonial. Uh, what is the future? How is, how is that meant to continue on? Because no one's being held accountable. We have someone who's at the top of it who is who's literally writing their own uh, contracts, um, extending them, and uh, there's no accountability. It just seems to be a, a, a journey towards w- one group of people's vision as opposed to what's right for the city. I think this is where you mentioned that they're directly elected mayors. But on the other hand, it's something I'm going to be talking to Dara Bryan and Peter Burke over because the three mayors talked about, or four mayors, including me, talked about it a lot. We need massive local government reform. Our our local government has always been, uh, since the signing of the treaty, there's been a a devolution of it. But more so than anything, your councillor powers, like a lot of councillors will tell you, it's it, like they're kind of more the call service where people call them to fix the potholes or fix something and they, they answer. And then a lot of people go, well, what's the point in electing councillors? The important, the, the current really important power that councillors have is the disposal of lands. So it's the reserve power. So for example, the recent Oscar trainer disposal is a good example. If we didn't have the power of, of for it, the, the council may well have just gone with the, the plan they had, which wasn't too bad a plan, but the main issue with the plan was that it didn't have enough pu- public housing. It didn't have enough cost rental. So the, the councillor councillors, uh, not all of them, uh, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil didn't vote again, 
think Fianna Fáil didn't, uh, Peter Gael didn't vote against it, but uh, not, I can't remember Fianna Fáil. So what happened was the majority of councillors voted against it and then they formed a group to look at the tenure mix. And right now the tenure mix we're proposing is 40% uh, social housing, 40% cost rental and 20% affordable, which is which will help a long way in terms of the housing list and in terms of affordable housing in, in Dublin. But that wouldn't have happened if councillors weren't there. So one of some of the few functions they have powers over is um, is housing and the development plan that's coming up. They get to try to steer it. They don't get to write it, but they get to steer it by either proposing or objecting in, in ways. Yeah, but the development plan is constantly overshadowed and changed and not yeah. adhered to. Like, it's literally like, but that's not in the development plan, so what? Or that is in the development plan, we're not doing it. And also they're responding to stuff rather than, you know, councillors are kind of responding to plans put to them or put to a vote rather than actually having you know, the, the input to to develop and plan stuff. But I just I would just want to ask a couple of questions about maybe some solutions or so, or some ideas um, that we could have, uh, you know, to maybe kind of, I mean, I'm not cobble something together, but it just really seems that, that, that the ball has been dropped in a major, major way. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think that it's time to extend hours in public parks in the evening time? So I wanted 24 hours parks and in fairness to parks, they did it for a little while, but then we got a mass load of complaints in from everywhere. So like everyone started going, why aren't my, why isn't my park closed? And why are people allowed to go through when there's a security measure? And in fairness to Les Moore, he, he agreed with me from the beginning of we needed parks 24 hours. This was what we were trying to do even before the pandemic. And in fairness to him, he did it. He opened them 24 hours, but then there was a, a spate of complaints coming in. So we then decided, okay, fine. And I was the only councillor that that wanted it unfortunately in my ward anyway in the other wards there were, I think there were others but what happened was we ended up then closing it like it was later closing hours but we still ended up closing it for me open the parks 24 hours I'm, I'm sure I still get the same complaints from before which is your security for for um, local residents and but I, I I lived in New York Central Park was never closed. So I, I also live in Hong Kong where there was multiple pocket parks that were never closed because people there didn't have the space outside. They lived in apartments. They needed that outdoor space. We need to do that. And it's something myself and Les were tic-tacking again on. We're hoping that that can happen again, as in open them 24 hours. Right now, mm-hmm. there's ones that are open later, but they need to be open throughout, I think. We're just terrified of the night in Ireland. No. It's like... The minute darkness comes, it's like culturally afraid. Uh, yeah, culturally afraid of the dark. Yeah, um, it's but- that sense of once you have nighttime, something bad's going to happen. But like, if you do stuff during the night, and if you promote nighttime as times for living, then it, it's going to provide that security as well. Like, I I used to work in a restaurant, and I didn't get out until like three in the morning and four in the morning, and there used to be nothing open apart from juries back in the day. And I always wondered, well, where is the support and services for people who would work until three in the morning or four mm. in the morning? So, and we need to do that. That's something Sonal, myself, Robbie were on the nighttime economy to, to try to look at. So, and we're doing trials now. So hopefully there'll be something, but we need to change this mentality that nighttime needs, is for sleeping and nighttime yeah. is unsecure if you, if you let people out. On the pedestrianisation stuff, um, the trials, uh, you know, let's say Capel Street, also the tiny part of South William Street's pedestrianised and stuff. The trials are always geared towards the weekend. Going, we'll do kind of pedestrianisation trial at the weekend and then see how it goes. And you know, depending on how much noise the owners of car parks make, uh, then it gets done or not. But is there is there an argument for pedestrianising streets at night or trialing that and just saying like actually at eight o'clock, Georgia Street and or you know even Dame Street or something like that is 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 obviously there's some buses and stuff like that. So maybe once the buses don't go down, right? So let's, you know, Capel Street again. It's like after 9, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., these streets are completely pedestrianized and closed off to traffic. Like, can we think about that? And then if people do gather, you know, it's, it's not about people, um, you know, figuring out just, oh, how do we facilitate if there's crowds of people converging who aren't organized in that way? They're just like small groups of people. But if they can spill out onto other streets that are safe, 
then you won't have that. You won't have that density and you can people will be able to distance properly. Yeah, and this is something, Brendan, because everyone, a lot of people gave out when the first consultation on uh, on Cable Street was out. But in fairness to the team there, the COVID mobility team, they put out what the first original iteration of just close, uh, just um, pedestrianizing the top was. And they said, listen, they were open to, listen, whatever ideas you come in, we will do it. And myself and, and Brendan chatted about it and we chatted about, listen, that street is predominantly pubs and restaurants. We do need an evening time close off so but then we were only open, a, able to push it to 11 because back to cars there, there is apparently exits for apartments close by the, the on strand street and on mary street and i think abbey street as well it's these apartments blocks that have cars going into filtering cable street so we needed to apply the uh, provide right of access and that comes to the problem. So, and and this is something it, in fairness to him, he did say he will look at trying to do it overnight. So he has been very good at trying to just push the boundaries on, on things. But, and with Capel Street, like Buzz and, and Rory um, came to me chatting about it beforehand because we what we really want to do is try to just close off the street if possible so mm. and, and make it like because both from strand street and Pernell street you have exits exit points to other places so cars can still go on that we, it comes back to the problem of we still place cars and car ownership above people's um uh about people's enjoyment and and uh, enjoyment and uh, livelihood in general so because mm. If you take cars out of that stretch, the businesses will have more spaces and they get more business. People will be able to to um, socialize and meet their mates there. Like it's not it's a no brainer. But we keep on thinking, well, we need to provide a right of access for car owners because when they bought these apartments, they knew they had access to these spaces and right away. So, yeah, well, we'll let you go in a sec. Andrea, go on there. Uh, Hazel, ultimately, do you think the city has failed in preparing for an outdoor summer? Yes. And I, maybe I'm just thinking I'm going to get kicked out of here in a couple of weeks. So I'm quite confident saying that. But yes, mainly because we have been saying it for so long. If if this was last summer, I will give some breath and say, you know what? People aren't prepared. But <clears throat> you have everyone from <clears throat> all the councillors to myself to public shouting about this and and we have been shouting for quite a while and and the recovery task force uh, like for all the good they're doing and they have they are good people trying to do stuff i would really want them to expand it to don't think of the limits think of what you can do and then apply the limits afterwards and go right how do we make sure we're adhering to guidelines here what like as in if you take for example uh, then out the forecourt here or Smithfield and Smithfield they put in tables and chairs but I would think of it as a blank space and go what is the most amazing thing we can put in here yeah. and put it in and then go how do we keep, keep people safe like I've asked for tables and chairs out in the forecourt and accessible picnic tables uh, for outside the mansion house for, for weeks now and Colleen is going to do it but his main thought when they were thinking of it was how do we adhere to guidelines and these are the restrictions and I would really rather them think the other way around which is we're going to do this and then go with the restriction so yeah ultimately we have failed and we need to do better. And my question is, are we going to continue to start doing better from this weekend? And then in future, there's a lot of other questions. Can we reform local government so that there's less councillors and uh, more power? So can we go back to that? Or can we move on to a different, to, uh, to a working relationship where the executive uh, understands that when the councillors are saying something, they re- they represent the people that they're saying it for. So, but but now on that point, and I know you guys have to go. Is Porta Palo Plaza is something that the councillors fed into because there were meetings, there were councillors object, uh, there were councillors objecting to closing off, but there were councillors proposing it was it should be closed off. Mm. So even when we look at councillors and powers, sometimes just because they have powers doesn't mean that they would necessarily agree with, with some of the plans that we, we all want to happen as well. So, so I, I guess my point is the whole cancer power thing is one conversation, uh, but then whether they would actually perform, and I'm not accusing them for not performing their duties. What I am saying is they might not agree with 
with a lot of people. So, yeah, you know, the city recovery task force um, I was on to um, the council uh, yesterday and this morning and the city recovery task force has met twice since it was formed in 40 days. Um, do you think that's adequate? No. Do you know how I found out there was a city recovery task force? It was when we got an email about it. And when we first got an email about it, it was uh, the council management having a, a, at the time it was called something else, recovery. I think it was task force as well, but um, a lot of councillors gave out. I rang on Geegan a good few times then and said, listen, you got to put councillors on this group because at the end of the day, they're the ones on the front line. And we had conversations about it and he said, okay, we'll, uh, after a motion was passed then in council, we, we reformed it. But the, the issue is everyone thinks this recovery task force is the main people driving it. There is the task force that is still was, was set up as purely management that is still in existence that runs. I think weekly or once every fortnight. And then there's the other recovery. I don't even know what to call it, task, a group or task force that is the manager, the, uh, the chief executive, and also then uh, three chairs of the SPCs and myself. So, and we're the ones that meet once a month, which is totally inadequate. And we've said that to, to, to both uh, the manager and also the chief executive. Yeah. So there's been two recovery task force meetings. There's been six marketing and communications meetings um, and four city recovery internal operations meetings. Anyway, well, another thing that I asked the council was where the, as you will be well aware, Hazel, you get, you can read through um, all of the committee uh, meeting minutes online, which is really great, actually, if you want, if, if that's how you get your gigs, which is funny <laughs> enough how I do. Um <laughs> But I asked them where the minutes for the recovery task force meetings were, and they said there are no minutes. There are no minutes because the format of the meetings is on a report and input basis. Where is the transparency there? Good question. So, and like all our minute, all our meetings, if we are to have meetings that are to represent the public and public good, should be transparent. So, and should have minutes to it. So. Uh, I didn't actually even realize there was no minutes to it. So and I will go and ask Owen and Colleen about that one because what they do do is send us, the councillors, a report on some of the things that have happened in, in the recovery task force. But And I had thought they would base those on the minutes. So it's interesting to hear that there's no minutes to the meeting. Mm-hmm. And finally, obviously, you know, Owen Keegan has come other, under a lot of um, criticism with regards to how the city uh, has failed to prepare for, quote unquote, outdoor summer. Um, you know, do you think that Owen Keegan and other members of the executive should be held accountable for these failings? And how can that happen? They should, everyone should be held accountable. But they're the ones, they're the ones, in fairness, they are running, running but things. At the same time, I saw this whole Owen Keegan must resign petition. And I, I, I've been very honest through this conversation. This is something else that people might not want to hear. I don't think he, he should resign. The whole, the whole trial in public on, 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 people's jobs or characters I've never really liked. And the, the, whether we think the man and also the executive is performing or not, then that needs to go through a proper process. What it, is that process, though? Um, the, the proper process will be to, to well, what us us as groups of councillors need to lead to asset because there was once upon a time a motion of no confidence on on Keegan that didn't pass. So um, is that something that we as councillors need to do? Now, this is the thing. Councillors I've spoke to are unhappy about how how things have happened, especially in the last weekend and the previous months. But and they think that the executive does need to change. But no one is calling for someone's head because the, the problem about calling for someone's head is you might get the satisfaction of that person stepping down and, and saying, well, you know, we now have more accountability and transparency. But placing someone else up there may give you the exact same problem unless you reform the structures and the issues. I don't necessarily think the issues is with the man. I think the issues is with how we have local government and how things work. You just asked me, how do you get someone to step down if like no one knows? So, and, and that's part of the bigger issue of 
Where are these structures? How does it really work? Who who is it just the chief executive running the city? If so, do we need that power balanced out? The conversation about directly elected mayors, is that actually going to be better? Uh, is it a shared power between chief executive and the Lord Mayor? And that's something Ongian have been very clear about when I talk, spoke to him about directly elected mayors. He didn't think it should be the case that Again, the chief executive held all the power. He thinks the chief executive's power should be deferred onto a, a, a directly elected mayor, and then the chief executive becomes a kind of a head of a min, so like a department head. So, and and that also works. But again, back to the whole, we may all feel really annoyed and angry about this and unhappy, but I don't necessarily think a man. Stepping, firing, stepping down is going to solve these issues because I think these issues are, are bigger issues that we need to get to. Hazel, thanks a million for your honesty and for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, Una, what is getting in the sea this week? Um, I hate to bring up James Gagan again. But um, no, I, <laughs> I, no, I actually no, because I need I want to, I don't want to be the you know the the by election. You know, you have to kind of squirrel away little bits of it. I can't um, kind of go on about it all at once because um, it's the only thing happening. <laughs> um, but he James Gagan keeps talking about his idea of a fifteen minute city. My 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 fifteen minute city idea. That's not your idea. You didn't come up with that. That's like an idea that you are advocating for. The 15 minute city in contemporary times, you know, is credited a lot to Carlos Moreno, who was a Colombian social scientist or something. Um, but he was inspired by one of my faves, Jane Jacobs, uh, particularly her book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. Jane Jacobs, the great urban, urbanist, city planner, architect, um, Everything, like not every, well, pretty much everything that she said was bang on back in the day about how you build community, about walkability, about pedestrianisation. She was, you know, one of the people who was opposed. At one time, they were building this massive motorway across Manhattan that basically would have taken out all of Lower East Side and, and, and the West Village and all that kind of stuff. And she was like one of the people really opposed to that and it talks a lot about how roads and, and centering car use in cities completely destroys them. Um, so that 15 minute city idea, which Carlos Marino was inspired by Jane Jacobs to basically brand as an idea. And then uh, Anne Hidalgo, who's the, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. She's the mayor of Paris. She's like the socialist mayor. And she basically was inspired by your man. Marina was like, yeah, this 15-minute city buzz is a great idea. It's not your idea, James Gagan. It's not. No. I'm not saying get your own ideas. I'm saying, say like a 15-minute city is something we should be... Like all of the Greens are talking about 15-minute... Flat out talking about 15-minute city all the time. Everyone's always talking about a 15-minute city. It's a new thing in fashion. It's not your idea. I feel like this is room 101. I am going to let your idea into the sea, you know. <laughs> But I am going to question, is it just, uh, what's that thing? Not pedantic. Is it just a... Uh... Well, you, pedantic is my main speed. <laughs> I mean, I, I very rarely move out of that lane. I'm just saying, don't say my 15, he literally tweeted the other day, my 15 minutes city idea. It's not your idea. That's like me going, my idea for um, hotels to exist or like my idea of would you like my recipe for a roast chicken? Would you like my idea of, you know, I don't know, some book or something. I don't know. But like, it, it, it just, it isn't an idea. It's not your idea. Be because I've seen his other shenanigans and because I've now he has form and because he's literally like becoming the poster boy for a locked out city, like all those reasons, I'll let it in. But like... With, with caveats. Yeah, you see, this is why I don't do get in the sea because mine is just like, you know, a nitpick into the sea. <laughs> anyway, now it's time for It's Bananas! <laughs> um, 
this week's bananas. Yeah, go on. So the big financial recovery was unveiled yesterday. And as part of it, it was going to be how the pup was going to be like weaseled out. And okay, we all know that it should be. We can't go on forever with this pandemic employment. Um, But I don't think it should. I think we anyway, go on. Pandemic employment, maybe in a different form. Yeah. So, uh, but there was a promise that there, it wouldn't go off a cliff edge. But actually, what's being said is that no matter what situation we're in and no matter what the restrictions are, the pub is going to be uh, cancelled. And that means that people who are unemployed will be going back to 203 euro a week. That is not an amount of money that can be survived on. Um, as someone who had to live on 350 euro per week while the thing was, while my business was closed, it is very difficult. And when you start getting into like, oh, I need to go to the dentist. Oh shit, I need to go to the doctor. I'm weighing up whether you're going to buy your dinner or whether you're going to go to the doctor on 350. Bring that down to 203 euro. It is not a possibility to live on. And the fact that we are going that the pup was raised to 350 after it was decided that it was impossible to live on anything is making us have a society where we are like, we don't value the lives of people who don't have a job. And I think we, that is a bigger issue um, that we need to um, approach and solve. And, um, but what really got my goat about this was that businesses, especially hotels, the, the, there had to be a statement brought out that the government were not lobbied by hotels and hospitality because staff wouldn't return because they're better off on their 350 a week. And I think you have to look at if, if your staff won't come back because they're better off on a 350 per, uh, support a week, maybe it's time to rejig your business and look at where taking away from your profits and actually paying your staff. Um, and actually, as a side note, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this I'm going to anyway so the Phoenix did a fucking dig slating article of me and they were putting in things are not so sparkly in Tropical Popgo where they're like accumulated blah blah blah, blah. it's like because we fucking pay all our staff all our money and don't try and make profits you saps that put me in a rage so maybe they could take a, a, a leaf out of my book and just start accumulating some losses baby <laughs> <laughs> share the wealth it's all made up anyway. Okay, now it's time for our fave bits. Tell me about your fave bits this week. I'm interested in them. It is good content. Uh, my fave bits, I'm really struggling for, uh, for fave bits at the moment because I know this is meant to be our cultural section. I was like, I actually, the only culture I watched was the unfolding of the situation on St. William Street from the window of Trop Pop, literally peeping out every day on Sunday going, what's going to happen now? How is this going to be handled? Is there going to be another rave? Um, so my fave bits are a bit bizarre. But first up, barbecues. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, got got me some gas yesterday, put a little pepper on the barbecue. It's interesting. This is actually a tangent again. It's interesting approaching a barbecue as a vegetarian, but equally it was very delicious, let me tell you. So if, if that's what's holding you back from ditching meat, don't. Get on the veg wagon. Sarah has a cob barbecue where it has a little moat in it. So you, you whatever you're cooking, your, your pepper or your mm. chicken or whatever, and then it has a little moat where you put in potatoes and then it, you put the cover on it and it like roasts the potatoes in the barbecue juice. Oh my gosh, we all know how I feel about potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, right? <laughs> yeah. Next up on my favorites, United Ireland taking over the airwaves this week. You can spot us on primetime <laughs> last night, Claire Byrne the night before, the last word that day. Uh, we've got mainstream in it. It seems we've gone mainstream. Oh, and my, uh, my, my article as a non-journalist has just gone live on the journal. I prefer <laughs> our early... article every week. I prefer our early stuff, to be honest. Now that we're mainstream, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Losing I just our think edge. We were lo- I just think back in the day, we were just more on it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just not, just not really feeling it. <laughs> uh, it was hilarious though gas week um next up we've spoken about my registration for vaccines are open did it heard it earlier and finally uh 
Lady Veda and Robbie Lawler have a podcast out called Pause Vibe Podcast, which is about breaking down the stigma around HIV, uh, getting the U equals U message out there, um, letting, uh, not letting, providing a platform for pause people to tell their stories, to engage with other pause people, to provide maybe an entryway for people who have no um, exposure, exposure, who don't know any, who don't know the stories about HIV to listen in and become an ally. So uh, give it a listen. They have some great guests and uh, it is should be something we should all listen to. Pause Vibe, pause vibe podcast. Yeah, it's very good. Um, my fave bits one thing I started watching last night now I only watch about 10 minutes of it but I can already tell it's going to be amazing is the new Elvis documentary series on Netflix Um, somebody who believe it or not Andrea has been to Graceland twice oh my goodness (laughs) Um, is that where Paul Simon is based Graceland no that's where that's (laughs) where fucking Elvis that's his album I know it's his album anyway I'm. I really like Elvis. Um, it's it's a bit of a weird flex, I think. Maybe. Is it? Um, yeah, is it? A weird flex to like the most popular pop star that's ever existed. <laughs> wow, so weird. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to watching more of it. Um, yeah, speaking of Netflix, I really want to watch that Mayor of Blah 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 Kate Winslet show. Everyone's raving. That's not on Netflix though, is it? No, it's on HBO or something. Yeah, everyone's obsessed and I feel really left behind because I haven't watched any of it yet. I'm not fine enough for anything else. Fuck off. (laughs) Um, My other five bits, I was in Donegal at the weekend and the fucking beaches in Donegal, man. I know I say it every time, but they really are the best beaches in the country. And I know like Sligo and like, yes, Kerry has great beaches. One of my favourite beaches in the country is in Kerry, Coominil. And also West Cork, yeah, Inchidani, etc. But the Donegal beaches are bigger, they're better, they're uh, wilder. Uh, there's fewer people on them. Sand is nicer. And if you want to freeze your face off, you can also swim. So yeah, that's a favorite bit oh, of mine. I went swimming at the weekend as well. Oh, I didn't. It was too cold. Um. And my other fave bit, I think I might have mentioned this before, but it's the Shortcuts podcast with Josie Long. I know we shouldn't be promoting other people's podcasts. Of course we should. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, but it's, um, anyway, it's just like a, a really, if you want a kind of very chilled, meditative, little escape kind of podcast, um, this is really nice. It's kind of like thematic and and sometimes it's like little soundscapes and found sound. Um, yeah really enjoyed that um, and now it's time for Book of the Week 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 Okay I mentioned this uh, last week because it was in my fave bits so I'm doubling down um, this is Alison Bechdel's new book, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Alison Bechdel being the author of uh, Fun Home and Are You My Mother. Um, previously, she was a cartoonist who did the Dykes to Watch Out For series for years and years and years. She's a graphic novelist. Um, Fun Home became turbo famous, not only after it was published and what kind of regarded as one of the best graphic novels of all time. And uh, but just even as a novel, as a piece of art, it's absolutely phenomenal. She got the MacArthur Genius Grant, then I think, and then it was adapted as a musical and won all of the townies. Um, but this book, I actually think it might be her best work, which is saying a lot considering Fun Home is a work of genius. But it's about her journey through her life in relation to exercise. And so she takes every decade of her life and, but that's kind of ostensibly what it's about, but really it's kind of about the meaning of life and Buddhism and the romantics and it's about, you know, aging and your family and your relationships and, and why are we here? And yeah, it is really phenomenal. What actually was the answer to that? 
Why are we here? <laughs> we have to read it. There's a lot in it about like transcendence and she writes a lot about uh trying to figure things out and kind of ending up back in the same place and um, moving your body through the world and try, trying to kind of understand the, the the rhymes of, you know, synchronicity, the experience in your life or repeated things. And it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I feel that like, it's one of those books that, you just, you know, when you're reading something and something's just speaking to you so much, you're like, oh my God, yeah, totally. Like, yes. Oh, this is so weird. What a coincidence. I was thinking that too, blah, blah, blah. It really, I think she, one of the, one of her many um, capacities as a writer and as a, as an illustrator is that what she's communicating seems so casual and offhand but it's actually really, really distilled reflection and intelligence and honesty that when she puts it on the page, it just really connects. And also this book, am I making it sound a bit like existential or whatever? It's hugely uplifting. And so it, I, honestly, I think it's one of my favorite books this year so far. Wow. Uh, so get that. Of course, people will know, who haven't read Alison Bechdel may know her from The Bechdel Test. Uh, which was made famous in one of her uh, comic strips and indicts to watch out for when two women are kind of talking about what film to watch. And one of them says, you know, I'll only watch a film where there's two female characters who talk to each other about something other than men. And that became known as the Bechdel test to test the kind of feminist credentials of, of film. And most films sadly don't pass, which is crazy. Except for Made in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it actually? Are there two female characters in yeah. Manhattan who talk to each other about something other than men? Yes, there is Jennifer Lopez and her best friend who talk about her getting her new job. Okay, fair. That passes. Um, this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan and Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Ooh, and they may have another tuna chicken roll. Ooh. Sarah Fox did all our design. Andrea, Cod. Tomwood Egdausa the Unshakthan Shah. Unshakthan Shah, tuna chicken roll. <laughs> it feels like um, all of our worlds have collided because it's crystal clear who gave us our soundtrack. The song is called Piano Banana. <laughs> Come on. Oh, and it's a tuna, like absolute banger. Absolute banger. I've been in Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was... We built this city on South William Street. You know, um, your uh, propensity for that song, I reminded of you of this before, once when you were DJing in a tent at Oxygen, um, where I was also DJing uh, before you, I believe. You were obviously head of uh, higher up on the bill. And... <laughs> for your final song you got them up you're like that's it guys we're go there's like 20 people at the tent or something I <laughs> every every DJ gig I've been played at has been packed thanks. yeah okay okay it was it was actually packed I've been an asshole but and then you just the minute you went to like press play on we built this city the entire electricity of the tent went do you remember that <laughs> I've no memory obviously not <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, anyway enjoy piano banana <laughs> <laughs>